everybody, whether you're the president of a company or the paperboy, everybody has the exact same amount of time. You and I both have 24 hours a day. No more, no less. The question is, what do you do with your time? Real quick, my friends. If you want to make more money with less marketing of your books, then go to my website, zbooks.co, and download my free niche finder tool at the top of the page. It's called Free Niche Finder Tool. And when you download that tool, you're going to get a bunch of emails from me that show you exactly what to do and video tutorials, and you're going to make more money by optimizing your books. I've helped a lot of people with this tool already. So go to zbooks.co and get the free niche finder tool. All right, back to that podcast. Welcome to ZBook Successful Authors Podcast. And today I have a repeat offender. He is the master of Amazon ads and the master of Amazon descriptions and a lover of guinea pigs. Welcome back, Brian Meek. So good to hear you again. Well, I'm thrilled to be here. We ha always have a good time when we talk, and I'm glad that you reached out to me to ask me back. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Excellent. Great to have you back. I think the last time we talked, there was a wasp trying to sting me while we were talking. Yes, you were being invaded by mean, nasty little insects. <laughs> I don't like any of the stinging insects. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a problem with. They, I just let them be, but... If it's something that could sting me, I find it a little un uncomfortable. Well, we're not in Australia. I heard Australia is really bad. You you do get scorpions though, though, out in Vegas, right? We do not that I've seen in my building. I don't know that the scorpions. Well, huh. we made national news just last week because we literally had a horde of crickets. There was <laughs> there were so many crickets flying in this swarm that it showed up on national weather radar. Wow. And living on the strip, because it's all concrete, there isn't vegetation for the, 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 the grass, grasshoppers. That's what it was, not crickets. Yeah, what are they doing there? There's nothing to eat for them. Well, I mean, there is outside of the strip. And so the strip is all concrete and steel. We didn't really see them, but the rest of Las Vegas it was it was thick to where it affected people driving and <laughs> uh, wow. I mean, you, you couldn't see it was it was a mess so it, it was described as a biblical biblical sized plague and yeah it didn't impact me i saw one of the grasshoppers but i'm on the the 21st floor so the plague of locusts it was a plague yeah. of locusts exactly I'm going to have to get back there. I haven't been to Vegas for a long time. It's a good so, town. Yeah. I recommend it to everyone. <laughs> yeah. And you told me it's only like 90 degrees in August right now. That's, that's biblical too, huh? Well, that's not typical. Yesterday, I think, was 105. Hmm. And so it's, it's generally 105 to 110. I tend to hmm. not go outside if it's what you know. I'll go outside at 109. That's a breaking point. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's not really terrible. It feels like a, a dry sauna. If you've ever been in one of those at the gym. Yeah, yeah. It, it's 
just a dry side. You don't want to be in direct sunlight, but if you're walking in the shade in 109 with 0% humidity, it's not terrible. Once you're in the direct sunlight, though, it does feel like you could burst into flames. <laughs> yeah. I, I've been to Vegas a couple of times. and uh, Well, I'm from California, so I, I know the heat in Death Valley and all that stuff. But, uh, oh, well, but it's, at least it's a dry crazy. heat, you know? Yeah. So I wanted to talk... I mean, I got your new book, uh, Mastering Amazon Descriptions, but I, I can't just gloss over Mastering Amazon Ads. We have to get a couple of questions about that out of the way. Far away. Okay. That sounds good. Yeah. So, um, so everybody's whining that they've changed the algorithm, and I'm always going on about ad fatigue and the law of diminishing returns. So, so sure. have you noticed anything? Has anything changed since the last time we talked? It's been months. Well, it, it does seem, I've been doing a lot of testing. I've, I've been testing not just Amazon ads. I've been trying different things with Facebook ads. And the ads that I find most baffling are the lock screen ads. Hmm. Because in theory, they are the product display interest ads with the a couple of spots that they used to place them stripped out. And so, mm -hmm. you know, so they only show up on the lock screens, which was, was my bread and butter when they were product display ads, because yeah. I, I did 45, $50,000 worth of ads as product display ads. So my expectation was this new newly named type of ad, would behave in a similar way and they just don't the yeah. conversions are terrible in part because if a person gets the lock screen ad it shows up on their kennel device mm -hmm. but they're not currently online with their kindle when they click it goes to a generic landing page well uh -huh. a lot of people might be reading their kindles when they're not online or that's they're right. In the car, or they're at lunch from their day job. That's that's a lot of clicks that I don't think when they were product display ads that we were charged for clicks that didn't have an opportunity yeah. to turn into a sale or a KU download. And it sure seems like they're charging us for all the clicks, which huh. Has, has skewed the conversion rate from one in eight or 10 if you are writing with a mastering Amazon descriptions type description. A little plug for my book there. <laughs> you know, you know, my, my descriptions typically convert at one in eight to one in 10. Yeah. That's, that's my sweet spot. On the lock screen ads, and that's what they converted on product display interest ads, they're sometimes one in 40, one in 50, and you know, that's a 500% cost increase. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. It's, it's really disturbing. Now, with the, the other types of clicks, the, the, the sponsored ads and so forth, I've, I've not been seeing the problems that people are reporting, hmm. but I'm, I'm doing things. Again, I, I approach ads for myself a little differently than most in that, the authors listening, they're going to use Amazon ads because they want to drive up a ton of sales, 
make a lot of money, which, which is great. And I, I love money, but I'm more interested in research. So I'm constantly testing new ideas, different bid levels mm-hmm. to see if I can uncover something new that maybe isn't being done. I've, I've been, the, the, the set of ads that I'm running now, I'm running with bids that are quite a bit lower than what most people are expecting. And I'm getting a few clicks, not a ton, but I'm focused on the, uh, the, the category ads, which are you find through the sponsored ads because yeah. there isn't a lot of data on them. And, and they seem to be doing fine. But again, because I'm running that test, I don't have any of my keyword ads on because I don't want to pollute my data. Yeah. So th- th- there, there may be some issues with the keyword stuff. I'm probably going to, uh, in a week or so, stop the category test and do some testing in the keyword area because that's what people are talking about. But I don't have any data right now. Yeah. I get everything. When I see people post their their stories of woe <laughs> far too often if i get onto a call with them on skype or what have you it's not a case of amazon's done anything differently it's a case of the author misdiagnosing the data and so i tend to take most of the sky the sky is falling stories with a grain of salt because yeah. far too often it's <laughs> operator error on the part of the person looking at the data. Yeah. Pilot induced oscillations. POs. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the biggest, the biggest problem that people have is that they, they look at the AMS ads and look at the sales on the AMS report, which is horribly inaccurate. Yeah. I have, over, uh, I, I just I just did some some ma- actually I did some numbers here uh, on one of my tests for uh, my satire. The it the the number from the AMS ads said I was spending. So so this is if I'm looking at the spend on the AMS ads and then what AMS was reporting for sales. Mm-hmm. It said that for every dollar in sales revenue that I was making, I was spending five dollars to get that one dollar. So it sounds like I'm losing a ton of money. That was in your dashboard. That was in the AMS dashboard, which is oh. typical. Yeah. The AMS dashboard always says I'm losing money, and people freak out about that. But yeah. the realities are that for that period of time my ROI was 270% positive ROI Hmm. because again, I do things in a very controlled way. I don't run other ads. So I know that any sales that are generated that show up on my KDP dashboard came from the clicks and I watch them very closely because honestly there, there aren't that many organic sales. Most, sales come from a click. I mean, whether it's a, you know, a sponsored product ad or whatever, but yeah. again, the reality are a normal person who doesn't understand that a, the 
page reads are never on the AMS report, which yep. page reads new customers to your books. 70% of the new readers that are going to read your book are in KU. Hmm. So if you're looking at the AMS report, you're focused on the sales. Well, that's only 30% of your data. 70% of your data is from KU. And so that alone makes it a horrible tool for doing analysis. But then secondly, they just don't report the sales in a timely fashion or sometimes at all. And so again, this is, this is, this was just a small, I don't know how many days this was. It was a couple days and the reported sales on the AMS was one but I know that the clicks drove eight sales. And then with the, with the revenue from the page reads and all, that ad, or it was actually a group of three ads, had a positive ROI of 270%. Hmm. But if you just look at the AMS report, it showed a massive, massive loss. And th this is a, a pass-fail game. Yeah. Either either you're in a positive ROI or you're not. If you're in a positive ROI, you keep doing what you're doing. You may try to improve it, but if you're losing money, you stop doing it. And the biggest sin that authors make is they use the AMS report to do their analysis based on the reported sales. Yeah. And that means they make errors almost all the time. And you can't run a business being wrong in your analysis 90, 95% of the time. But <laughs> it, it's hard. I go on these podcasts and I preach, don't look at the sales. But people do. They, they just, they don't listen to me. So uh, yeah. that's, that, that's my little rant on that. Hopefully yeah, well, it's, 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 realize um, that's not the way to do it. The uh, Amazon dashboard is uh, notorious and um so i i've heard that one before and um but i've i've noticed this really cool function uh advertising reports have you seen that oh uh, you mean the new beta reports i think so you're um, talking about in kdp yeah no in the ams dashboard oh and, oh, oh oh yes yes oh I, absolutely yeah and you can export your stuff and it yep. shows you um, the actual uh, the keywords that people clicked on. Uh, no, they're search terms that they actually clicked on when they bought your book. And yes, was, and, and the, the, the problem with that report mm -hmm. is don't ever look at it. Here, here's, this is another thing that I, I go on and on about is if people don't understand math, they don't understand <laughs> yeah. the yeah. And so if you have a description that converts at say one in 10, it's a good description. You, you've, you've read my book, you, you've got hooks in the opening. It takes 10 people to look at your description for mm. one of them to become a new reader. This is where it's important to understand two things, variance and 
the distribution of types of new readers. As I said just a few minutes ago, 30% of your new readers buy your book, 70% of the new readers will download your book through KU. Mm -hmm. So if you imagine the next 10 readers that you're going to get for your book, three of them bought it, seven of them were in KU and downloaded it. So, so are you with me that, that far? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so that report that you're talking about only shows sales. Now, yep. if you've got 100 clicks on average, you're gonna get 10 new readers. Mm, but yep. here's where variance comes in. Over 10,000 clicks, we know 70% are gonna come through KU and 30% are gonna come through sales. But over 10 clicks, because of the way variance happens, you could have a span where you get nine KU readers downloading it in a row, and then mm -hmm. you get you know, five people buy it in a row, and then two, and so th they don't come in in a nice uniform, you know, one yeah. sale, two uh, downloads, another sale, two downloads, another sale, and, and, and so that you end up with that ratio of 70%. So, the point being is it takes lots and lots of clicks to have statistically significant data to where that all sort of works itself out. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. if you're looking at that report that you're talking about and it says, okay, these five terms led to sales. And then you think, okay, great. I'm going to take that and assume that those are the, and I'm using air quotes, you can't see it, the good <laughs> keywords. Yeah. Because they each had one sale. And then this other batch of keywords had zero sales. The, so those are the bad keywords. You don't know that. That is a faulty assumption because the report doesn't tell you where the KU readers fell. So hmm. one of those bad keywords, maybe it got you three new readers even though it has a big goose egg. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Well, because we are not seeing 70% of the data. So yes. we're blind. So it's absolutely worthless. And yeah. there are authors that spend hours and hours and hours analyzing their keyword data. And yeah. that is not time well spent. And they're making erroneous assumptions because it's just... It, it, yeah. it doesn't if they gave us all the data let, let, let's say that they did report number of units downloaded mm -hmm. just which they don't but mm -hmm. let's say they did does that mean that you could then look at individual keywords and make a decision no mm -hmm. you still couldn't and the reason is because of a thing called statistical significance yeah in order to know that you have enough data to draw a conclusion with 95% confidence, you need a certain number of clicks. Mm -hmm. Let's say it's 500 clicks. That's not 500 clicks on the ad. That's 500 clicks on every one of the thousand keywords that you're analyzing. So now you're to 500,000 clicks on a single ad if you want to do 
analysis that you're talking about. Yeah. Well, nobody has ads that have that many clicks. And so even if we had all the data, which we don't, <laughs> you still wouldn't be able to analyze keywords with mathematical confidence that you're making the correct decision. And so why are people spending five, 10 hours a week pouring over and trying to improve their keywords? Yeah. It's there, there, there are, there are experts out there that swear by it and that's fine. It's just not mathematically sound. Okay. So then that begs the question, where do you get your keywords from? Do you use one of those tools like the I, rocket or something? I, I do. I, I, I use rocket. I, I love it. Yeah. And in full disclosure, uh, Dave Chesson is a really good friend of mine. I've been down to visit him at his home. Uh, he lives near uh, Nashville mm -hmm. and we talk a lot. I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of his. And so I'm very biased, but that's the tool I use. And it's because of the amount of time it saves me for yeah. a, you know, a one-time price. Well, I don't know if it might be a subscription now. I don't know, but I, I've had it for years. Yeah. And the, I did an uh, experiment one day back. I was visiting my parents in Iowa, and I said, you know, I'm going to take the day and build a set of a new set of keywords from scratch, just using Amazon and Google mm -hmm. and my brain. <laughs> and I, I spent like 10 hours over the course of a day putting together a thousand keywords. I was, I, I was watching Netflix, so it wasn't intensive focused effort, but it still, it just was a grind. It took a long time. I, I looked at top 100 lists. Yeah. I did Google searches, you know, top 100 noir detectives of all time. And then I would get those names and I would look them up on Amazon and I would get their titles and just grinding through. And I can do a, a thousand word list in, in 30 minutes using yeah. his tool. It, it's just such a huge time saver. So yeah, that's yeah. how I do it. I believe I love it too. I, I got it, of course, and uh, use it exclusively. Uh, but um, then back to your method there. So when do you change your keywords? Oh, I, I, I don't. I, I don't <laughs> that's so interesting. I, I don't analyze. I don't even look at them. I, I, I never... So you just set it up once and then from then on, you just change the descriptions and oh, well, other things. Yes. Oh yeah. I mean, I have an Excel file with, uh, because I write across so many genres. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I have one for satire. I have one for mystery thriller. I have lists for science fiction. So I have different lists, mm -hmm. but once they're built, you know, the only time I even see those keywords is when I'm going back to the Excel file to copy and paste them into an ad. Yeah. So yeah. I, 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 don't, I, I don't ever look at the number of clicks that a keyword mm -hmm. gets. I, I have done tests. I, I have looked at where I went in and said, okay, these keywords, I wasn't concerned about clicks because I just said, you can't analyze the clicks with you know, mathematical rigor, mm -hmm. but you can look at the number of impressions being delivered. Yeah, I, I did a test once with only four keywords where I was testing the importance of 
the relevance of the keyword to it getting delivered. I intentionally picked four varied authors. Uh, they were famous, uh, like J.K. Rowling, uh, the, the woman that did The Fifty Shades yeah. of Grey, E.L. James, Stephen King, and I, maybe Neil Stevenson. Yeah. So when I ran one of my science fiction books, Neil Stevenson and Stephen King would get lots and lots of impressions. J.K. Rowling would get a few, and E.L. James, which is romance, erotica, I don't know what genre that, that lands in, yeah. but that would get almost none. Hmm. And, and I was bidding a ridiculous amount because I wanted to do the study quickly, and I didn't want to spend time, and I, I knew it wasn't going to make money. And then I ran another book that was, so I did the science fiction, and then I did the satire, which doesn't really apply to any of those people and it just didn't get delivered and so it it matters that you're building lists that have keywords that are relevant to your book i mean to, to you know if you're writing a horror book don't go out and pick romance authors yeah you know, uh, you know regency romance and horror are not the same thing so don't <laughs> pick that you yeah. need start out with a list that makes sense but once you have it I, I never look at it again wow so what about the seven in in your uh, dashboard when you're publishing the book the metadata of oh, that I do spend time on mm -hmm. I I that, that's a whole that, that's a long conversation I <laughs> I don't know that I have a methodology that necessarily makes sense well it's not that it doesn't make sense it's that i spend a lot of time on it so i will this is what i do when i'm launching a new book in a new genre mm -hmm. that i haven't done the analysis for i will make a list of 20 or 30 keywords that i think are most apt so my, my newest series is epic fantasy Mm -hmm. The series is Chronicles of the Fifth Kingdom. I'm doing rapid release over 10 months, and I needed to do this for that. So I, I picked uh, Dragons was one, Swords and, uh, Swords and Sorcery, Epic Fantasy, mm -hmm. uh, Grimdark. Now, my book isn't Grimdark, so I didn't end up using that, but, but I, I looked at those, uh, yeah. those books. And... Then I go on to Amazon. I note the when you do the search, and you always want to use an incognito browser when you're doing this. Yes. Otherwise, your numbers or your results will be skewed by the fact that Amazon tracks everything we do. So, using an incognito browser, putting in a term like dragons, and then looking at the count that Amazon gives you for number of books. And then I put that in Excel. And I do this for all the keywords. And then once the book is launched, I go try to find the book. Now, a lot of times you can't, but yeah. I will pick from my pool of say 30 keywords that I've researched, seven of them, because that's what we're allowed. Mm -hmm. And I try to pick, I think in terms of, bodies of water so i want one or two keywords that are in 
maybe a, a lake or a pond mm-hmm. versus a great lake or an ocean. So as an example, literature, there's 3 million books that are in literature. That is the biggest ocean. Yeah. Romance would be a big ocean. But then you can narrow it down to more specific subgenres, LGBTQ romance. That would be a smaller body of water. So that's my mindset is that I want a couple in a tiny one and then a medium and then uh, a large. And so I, I pick my seven. And then once the book's live, I go and note what page I found it on, if at all. And and then and then I make decisions about is that one working for me? Do I want to change it up? And so yeah. I, I do put some effort and thought into the keywords that I use for each new genre. But if I were to write well, so the the third book is coming out the nineteenth. The fourth will be then the next month, and so on and so forth. I'm not redoing that each time. Mm-hmm. Once I've done my research for those seven keywords for this epic fantasy series i'm using the same keywords throughout unless i conclude that one of them isn't working for me yeah yeah okay so and then and then you don't update them hardly ever i don't i okay i would say as an example my henry wood detective series i haven't written posted published a new book in that series in five or six years probably probably six or seven now that i think about it i have started a a new book in that series that i'll probably finish next year when i go to launch that book i will start anew with the seven keywords because Uh it's been so long that i've analyzed them that obviously over a seven-year period Things are different. Yeah. So anytime, uh, if I were to, I'll use this set of keywords for this epic fantasy throughout the life of the, the 10 books, mm-hmm. I won't redo them. But if I wrote another series or a spinoff mm-hmm. in, in 2020 or 2021, I might then redo it at that time. So that's really interesting because, so if I understood you correctly, you do use your seven keywords and try to rank for those seven meta keywords in your, yeah. your Amazon. But when it comes to your ads, you just build a big lists of good or whatever applicable yeah. keywords and those you hardly touch anymore. Correct. Interesting. Yeah. And you don't even look at the uh, impressions or the, the conversions in the dashboard then went by each keyword. You don't even bother with that, huh? quite the opposite i i mean i would if i were being waterboarded (laughs) i might consider it but but it's something that again it's it's bad data and i i i cannot stress strongly enough that again making the assumption the author is starting with keywords that make sense yeah and, and so if somebody has 20,000 keywords, but they're just anything. Yeah. Well, well then that's just a bad list, but I'm not building bad lists from the start. I'm building my thriller list 
is of authors and books and keywords that are for thrillers. So it already makes sense. I never need to look at it again. And the data they provide and the quantity of clicks preclude one from being able to do it with any sort of reliability. Uh, yeah, we got into this in the last podcast interview and uh, did a really good job, actually. And uh, so in, in, in end effect is you, you really check out how your description is converting, the one in 10. And uh, yes. I've been able to reach that, actually. But um, well, well done. yeah, and then you also, I, I really like uh, your holistic approach. You have to know your entire funnel, your read-throughs, your lifetime value, and your conversion rate. And uh, so you have to know the overall, you know, like you said, 70% of the data we're not seeing. So you're going by the only, what do you want to call it? The hard points that you can yes. to get Absolutely. The overall. Because, uh, that's when you know, here's a great example. I know that with AMS ads, I will convert between one and eight to one and 10. Mm -hmm. So because I have data, I can show that. So now I'm dipping my toes back into Facebook ads. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, 10, this is relatively new, probably uh, 14 days ago. Uh, I, st I, I started doing some tests mm -hmm. and the myriad of options that one can choose with their targeting on Facebook is staggering yeah yeah for a data nice. person it's wonderful but you can choose do you want to have the ad delivered on just the desktop do you yep. want it on desktop and mobile do you want it on desktop mobile instagram partners mm. all of these groups of potential readers people that will click may behave differently we don't know. So that's why I'm testing. So I know that a person interested in buying a book on Amazon, I only need to pay for eight to 10 clicks. Mm -hmm. But if I run an ad on Facebook and I'm not getting those numbers, as an example, the first test was three ads where I was blasting it out to both mobile devices, desktop, partner, and then oh, I include the partners in Instagram. I don't remember if I did Instagram, I'd have to look, but it was a very broad selection of possible venues where, where these, these ads would show up. And I had a very specific, narrow, relatively narrow target in that I targeted one author who, a, a big name author, I, I don't remember, Malducci, I think, and it was, this was for, uh, my, my mystery series and that may need, that may, need, may not be right but the point is I did this test and spent $60 had a conversion rate of about 1 in 120 mm -hmm. which that 1 in 120 I mean it, this was a massive loser I spent $60 and generated I think $10 in revenue. So and yeah, okay, we're talking conversion as in sales divided by clicks. Uh, no, again, that is that S word. <laughs> yeah. Not sales, 70% <laughs> of the, 
is revenue from Patriots. So you have to, it's, it's readers. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not trying to be a, a jerk, but no. that's, that's an important distinction because authors only focus on sales. Yep. And the realities are that is such a small piece of the pie. It is the least important of the two. If you're exclusive now, that being said, my new epic fantasy series is wide. So that changes analysis too. But going back to the Facebook test. Yeah, how do you I measure had, the conversion of the Facebook ad in Amazon if you're also running Amazon ads at the same time? Or oh, I'm you? not. I ah, okay, okay, okay. That, that, that's my point. When, gotcha. when, you look at, when you look at my my fiction sales numbers, my rankings are terrible. But that's mm-hmm. because I'm not, I don't use Facebook ads or Amazon ads to try to make money. Mm-hmm. I'm using it for research mm-hmm. so that I can then whether it's updating the Amazon ads book or my course, I, I'm, I don't derive value from learning new insights that I can teach to other authors. Yeah. And I'm more interested in that than selling the fiction. If I were just purely doing it for sales, then I would do the things that work best. I would only do those. I would do them in high volume, try to spend three, $400 a day. But that's not the point. The point is to get valid data that I can then talk about to other authors. So with the Facebook example, there's a gap from the time I stopped doing the AMS ads for the mystery series. And when I start up with the Facebook ads so that my sales die down to nothing, page reads die down to nothing. Hmm. And then I start doing that. And so I know with reasonable certainty, that nobody's finding my book organically when I start a Facebook ad and it's ranked 348,000. And so I've eliminated that contamination to the data. And then I start doing the ads and and I know that, you know, over 600 clicks, I had five new readers, two of uh, one sale and four uh, KU downloads. And I knew that because after I turned the ads off after three days, a couple weeks later, I had exactly the number of pages that would account for four new readers and mm-hmm. only that one sale. Yeah. And so it, it, was, it was clear that the way I did the targeting on that first batch, I marked that in the failure column. That didn't work. So then I move on. And the next thing that I'm testing is a different targeting and I'm doing that uh, and it's converting much better. So mm-hmm. about one in 12, hmm. uh, but uh, okay. Th- this data is brand new because I've only been doing this for like 14, 16 days, maybe it's three weeks. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, time for me is a blur, but <laughs> I did the one test, it failed. Uh, then I started this test and it, the data is new, so I don't have all the page reads in yet, but it looks like conversion is about one in 12, which is fine. I mean, that's close yeah. enough to my data. And if some more page reads come in, then that could add another conversion that I didn't know about. Well, the issue is the cost per click. So the way I'm doing this targeting, the cost per click, even though it's one in 12 instead of one in 
uh, 120 or whatever it was, the cost per click is two or three times higher than the first test. So I'm paying a lot more per click. Hmm. I'm getting conversions much more quickly as far as the number of clicks I need to get a conversion. And it is bringing in more revenue than the first test, but it is still not running profitably. Mm-hmm. So there will be another test. And, and again, this is, this is how research yeah. goes. I expect nine out of 10 things that I try to fail to get that one. But once I get the one that works, it's a cash machine. It's, it's, yeah. it's gives me the ability to then ramp it up and, and, make a lot of money or write a book about it or, or what have you. So. Cool. Yeah. Are you using your um, book description for the copy in the Facebook ad? No, I'm using copywriting, Yeah. but not the book description. Oh, we're going to get to that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm the, uh, I use the same style to hmm. try to hook the reader and, and my, my click-through rate's really good. So I know the copy is doing a good job. Yeah. The question I have, though, is do people who click on Facebook ads on their phones then buy? Hmm. And the first test showed that they didn't. In the second test, I didn't show it to anybody on their phones. I showed it to only people on their desktop. Yeah. And the conversion rate improved dramatically because mm-hmm. they're clicking and, and they're sitting at their computer and they've got Amazon. So... Yeah, but but that that's only two tests. That's, that doesn't tell me that. So nobody listening should take away from this and say, "Hey, Brian Meek said, don't deliver your ads to the phone." That's not <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. Not at all. I don't have data that proves that. I have one test where, in yeah. that instance, it failed. That doesn't yeah. mean that the phone stuff is bad. It just means that I need to keep testing. Yeah. Okay, one more question about the old, well, the old book, the other book, uh, before we get to your new book, uh, because they're both awesome. But uh, do you have data then, or have you experienced seasons, like uh, summer's bad for sales, and then there's back to school, and then... Absolutely, yeah, yeah. but I kind of knew that before I I wrote the book. It's it's absolutely seasonal, Um, yes. So what, what are the seasons for sale? But, but, but I saw that long before I, I yeah. wrote the book with the advertising that there, mm-hmm. were, there were peak times. And um, yeah. the other thing about ads is that the landscape's always changing. So mm-hmm. if an author writes a, uh, a book and it sells a lot, you get new authors trying, trying the platform out and that adds to competition. Yeah. For yeah. a period of time, the bids get elevated because of the competition, then authors stop doing ads and it becomes less competitive. Hmm. So you could bid less. Now the problem is that most authors, they, they never change. They don't, they don't do constant testing. So they, they, maybe they were getting clicks at 15 cents and then they had to pay 20 and then they had to pay 30 and then they're paying 50. But they never test to see is 50 still correct? Maybe it's 40 now and they could be paying 40 and then 30, but because they never test, they just keep paying that same amount. And when a bunch of authors drop out, the bidding doesn't come back like it should because they're the authors that are still playing the game. 
mm-hmm. yeah. getting more than they need to. And so I'm constantly testing and I've definitely seen the, the amount that I'm paying per click has come down mm-hmm. because I think so many authors have dropped out. It's not come down as much as one would expect because too many authors just rest on the way things were in the past and they don't look to see if there's been change, but it is constantly changing. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, I've noticed mostly that summer sucks and that Christmas is awesome, you know, and, uh, but otherwise I haven't noticed that many seasons maybe Okay. Yeah, well, no, I mean, that, that's, that's correct. That's kind of when there, there's changes. I, I would say that spring and fall are kind of the norm, and then you get better around the holidays and worse in the summer. So yeah, that's your four seasons. That's cool. Right on. Well, okay. I didn't want to go that deep on, on your previous book. So let's get into your new book. And uh, so uh, total, total uh, – newbie question how important is the description for your book it is the most important thing in publishing mm-hmm. and and, and it, it is more important than writing a good book it is more important but it's maybe not more important than the cover i i have to say if your cover is horrible people won't read the description people won't click on the ad so the cover is the most important thing the description second most important the quality of the book is third. And the reason I say that is there are, there, there are books that win the Pulitzer Prize that are horrible. And so you look at a book that's won the Pulitzer, it's a 3.8 average. 3.8 is really bad. Hmm. I mean, to get a 3.8 average on 25,000 reviews yeah. means you have had to almost focus on writing a poor quality book because you were trying to impress the literati that vote on the Pulitzer. (laughs) You almost intentionally have to strip out the interesting parts of the book so it will be bad enough that you can qualify for Pulitzer. The point being is if if you're competent and write a decent book, there are readers out there that want to read it. They won't give it a try if you've got a horrible cover. And if your description is a synopsis where you just go through bullet points and well, not really bullet points, but just uh, Bob did this and then he did this and then he met Sarah and they did this and then they did this and then there was this horrible thing. And hopefully, and they'll come out the other end. That's what all descriptions are. I've never seen one by a traditional publisher that wasn't horrible. They, they're not copywriting. What authors don't understand is that, and, and I was guilty of this too. We all, we, all, we all do this. A description. Well, description, it's in the word. Well, what do I do? I describe what's happening in the book. Yeah. No, you don't. Copywriting, and especially now at this time, living in the world of social media, where everybody's attention span has been so fractured mean that the person who just finished reading whatever their, their, their current book was and they're looking for something new is on Facebook, or on, not on Facebook, on 
Amazon, and this applies to all of them, Amazon, Apple, Kobo, Barnes & Noble, Fnac if you're in France, any of the sites to sell books, the big irony is the people looking for to purchase or download a new read, their attention spans are so fractured by Facebook that they cannot be bothered to, to read a long synopsis of the book. They yeah. open up that read more and they see this giant synopsis and they won't read it. Now, the irony is that they're looking for a book where they're going to go away in a quiet corner and read for two hours uninterrupted, but they're not, they're not in that mindset yet. They're in the Facebook mindset of scrolling and, oh, my friend put up a picture of their baby. <laughs> like, oh, there, there's a puppy. Like, oh, funny meme about politics. Like, and, th and that's how we work. I want everybody out there listening. If you don't believe me yet, I want you to imagine Facebook and you just click, you looked at a person's post, a very good friend of yours, somebody you've known since high school, maybe you even dated. She was adorable. And you see their post and it's a giant paragraph, 20 lines long. Do you read it? No, you no. don't. You click like and you move on. That giant paragraph goes unread. Too long, didn't read. Yep. That's the basis of my book. When I started doing posts on the 20 books to 50K mm -hmm. Facebook group back in January of 2017, people would ask questions about Amazon ads. Mm -hmm. And I knew the answer. So I would write a post and I'd put it up there. Typically, my post about whatever the question I had spotted would be 500 words, which is a pretty long post. But to answer the question properly, it took a lot of explaining. And those would get in the neighborhood of 50 likes or loves and 10 or 12 comments. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's not bad. When I write a post now on 20 books to 50K, I use proper copywriting. I open with a hook yeah. and then I use short paragraphs. I, I add in additional hooks. I use open loops, which are all tools of copywriting and I have written posts that <laughs> range from between 500 and 1500 words on 20 books to 50k those long 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 posts on Facebook typically get 500 to 1600 is my best likes or loves and 300 to my top post was 588 comments in six hours before they turned off the comments. Hmm. And so that is the best way for an author who maybe is listening to this and doesn't believe me to test out copywriting. Once you have read the book and you understand the ideas and I talk about this, I, I tell people, I want you to read this book in its entirety. Don't just go to, there's 40 descriptions. Don't just go to the one that is in the genre that you write in and then copy that because that's not the point of the book. The point is I want you to read it start to finish so that you understand the art of copywriting so that you'll use it on Facebook 
You'll use it in every interaction you have with a reader because again, proper copywriting makes it easier on the reader. You're making it easy for them to get from the start of your message to the end because it's not these giant blocks of text. Yeah, that's the first, go ahead, yeah. Well, you should use it in your email blast to the people on your list. Why wouldn't you? Yep. If you send them stuff that is easy and enjoyable to read, you're gonna train them to want to open your emails. Mm-hmm. If you're sending them boring giant blocks of text, yep. they're not gonna open them. And then when you launch a book, you're gonna sell fewer copies. So the point of mastering Amazon descriptions is to get people to use copywriting all the time. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that's what I preach. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, I, you know, right in the beginning of your book, you have this exercise, you know, copy this uh, into your Facebook post and see what happens, you know? Absolutely. And uh, I couldn't get a screenshot of it. I went to your Facebook group. I mean, I've been there for a while. Mm-hmm. And um, um, one of your one guy did it, and he posted all of his results in the Facebook group, and they were pretty pretty darn good. And um, yeah. well, and, and the, the beauty of that is just listeners out there. So I start the book off, and I explain to people, this is I, I want you to believe this. So this is what you're going to do. You're going to take this and type it out the way I have it in the book. And it's, mm-hmm. it's copywriting, but it's copywriting to try to sell Mastering Amazon Descriptions. Mm-hmm. And I say that, it's completely self-serving. It's me trying to sell more books. But the point is, authors on Facebook have lots of author friends. And so the genius of that first chapter is that I wanna show you how copywriting works. Do this, put it in your timeline. And I, I would bet that maybe 5%, maybe not even that, maybe 3% of the people that have bought the book actually do that exercise. But I've gotten a remarkable number of people that have reached out to me and said, I did it. I I did that. And and you're right. It worked. And and I know that that has led to more sales for me, which is nice. I love the money. But the point is, I want the author to see how it really moves the numbers because until you see your posts that we're getting three or four likes, maybe 10 likes start to get 50 or 60. I mean, I have about 3000 friends on Facebook. Mm -hmm. A lot of my posts get 200 plus likes and they're just silly posts that way. It's, it's things. It's what I'm watching on Hulu. I will use proper copywriting. It's, commentary on the Cincinnati Reds baseball team. I, I, I do this test. Here's an, another great way to test things is I love the Cincinnati Reds. Mm-hmm. They're, they're my team. They're, they're kind of near the bottom of their division. They're not great this year, but I follow the official Cincinnati Reds Facebook group and they put up videos. They had uh, pictures of the players and so every day there are posts from that group and they get, you know, 5,000 um, likes or loves, you know, people interact with it because any professional sports team has a big following. Yeah. Well, that sort of environment is a great place for you, the author, to test out your copywriting because I will go in there and I will see a new post come up 
and then I will write a short something. It might be three lines, five lines, 20 lines, just something about the Reds that happened recently, something I noticed. And every single time I've done it, mm-hmm. my comment or post has become the most relevant among literally thousands of Interesting. And so I'm always able to pop it up to the top because, and again, you have to start when the post is relatively new, but I just had one yesterday. Yeah, it was after yesterday's game, three lines. And this was after maybe a hundred people had already commented. So I was kind of late to the game Hmm. and maybe it took an hour, but my three lines got 20 likes after an hour, one additional comment and became the most relevant uh, within an hour because of copywriting. Yeah. Are you talking about uh, writing a, a post on another person's page or commenting on their post? Commenting. I'm talking about commenting. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Because when you post on somebody else's page, it's, they don't see it, do they? No, no, no. This is, this is when, you know, Cincinnati will put up uh, a 40 second video of one of the guys hitting a home run. Yeah. And so I will then comment on that video. Now, yeah. sometimes I just say great shot. I don't care. But other times I will, most of the time, I will write three lines or more. Mm-hmm. And each line has a blank line in between it. You get that by holding down uh, yep. shift or control shift and then enter, enter. Uh, that gives you the blank line. Yep. And I do that. Because, and you show that in the book too, how to do that. Yeah. And, and it, it absolutely works. Yeah. So. Again, what I'm trying to get across to authors is it's crucial for you to become a world-class copywriter. Mm-hmm. You need to understand how this works, and it needs to be ingrained in everything that you do. I just – oh, this is another – so with this new epic fantasy series, uh, the first book is called Dragon's Fury, mm-hmm. and my beta readers are – mostly authors because I have my two Facebook groups and there's thousand, 9,000 plus authors in there. And, and I sent out this message. I'm going to be doing research over the next year on rapid release. I'm doing rapid release wide because there isn't a lot of information about how to succeed going wide. Now, most people are exclusive to Amazon and that's yeah. fine. And that's, that might be where I would make the most money. I don't know, but mm-hmm. I do know there are a lot of marketing tools out there that nobody's aware of for the person that wants to promote their book on Kobo or Barnes and Noble, iBooks, uh, Google, you know, yeah. there are things out there that you can do that most authors, because they've been exclusive for years, aren't aware that they exist. Yeah. Everyone knows that it's easier to get a book bub if you're wide. That's a biggie, but that's not it. There's a lot out there. So I want to, I want to dig into this and I'll probably write a book about you know, mastering rapid release going wide. <laughs> Put me I, on your beta list. The, the, well, the, well, yeah. Um, send me a Facebook message. I'll add you after <laughs> we're done with this. Yeah. The point being though, is that this wasn't my, my normal fiction beta readers. I, I didn't send it to my normal fiction beta readers. I mm-hmm. let the authors do it. And then 
when I put out the call, I said, okay, you, you, you've read the book. The book is live. Can you please leave a review and use proper copywriting? Mm -hmm. And if people go look at the reviews that I've received on Dragon's Fury, mm -hmm. go check out those reviews. Mm -hmm. They're all proper copywriting. Dragon's Fury. In the grand scheme of things, I will never know what the impact is. Well, I might actually. Now that I think about it. So yeah. you had your people write with copywriting the reviews for yes. Dragon's Fury. I will put that in the show notes. Yes. Have people go read that. And here's what's going to be interesting. And so I have uh, the first book came out. Uh, it was it launched June 26th. And then the second book came out July 24th. The third one comes out August 19th. Mm -hmm. I have a book bub for the first one. It's .com and international. So it's the, the normal expensive book bub for Dragon's Fury at 99 cents. Mm -hmm. My expectation is they, the, on book bub, you can look and see what the average number of downloads are. Mm -hmm. or, and they have broken out by free or sales. With sales in the fantasy category, it's around 2,500. My expectation, because I have proper copywriting on my description and because I've had 14 book bubs, or this will be the 14th, 13 wow. book bubs, I have a lot of data. My awesome. book bubs outperform the average every time nice. since I started using proper copywriting. So I had book bubs before and the book would get right about the average. I do 20 to 30% better than the average with the proper copyright. So that's another example. I should have mentioned that in the book. But hmm. uh, the, the point is, my expectation is I'll get around 3,000 sales across all the platforms on August 17th when this book bub blasts for Dragon's Fury. Cool. Well, well, you can update your book. Well, I, yeah, that's true. I can update my book. And, 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 and I think I will. <laughs> but what's interesting is, or will be interesting, there's 13 reviews on there right now, 4.9 average, mm -hmm. and all the reviews are proper copywriting. So this is, this is me thinking out loud as a data analyst. Hmm. If we as authors know that reviews matter, we all agree on that. It's harder to sell a book with zero reviews than yeah. one that has reviews. So that's a fact. Reviews matter. Readers look at reviews and make their decisions. Mm -hmm. If we also know that proper copywriting gets people to read to a greater extent, to read all the way through and get all the information, which it does, and I've proven that clearly. And, and, and it's not me. I mean, guys like Joseph Sugarman have proven that copywriting works yeah. in the 60s and 70s. So, I'm not the guy coming up with the idea that copywriting is important. That's Madison Avenue in the 50s. Yeah. yeah. The point being is we know it works. Yep. Coke is it. Just do <laughs> it. Yeah. So copywriting matters. So if copywriting matters and descriptions matter, then will that impact the number of sales I have on August 17th because the the uh, reviews are proper copywriting. In theory, 
people should read them in depth, get more out of them. They, because they're good reviews, they cast the book in a positive light and over however many thousands and thousands and thousands of people click on the BookBub ad to, or the BookBub promotion, it's not an ad, promotion to that page, it should improve the quantity of people that make the decision to buy it. So, yeah. so I mean, we'll, we'll find out, but that'll be cool. You know, and again, that's not a, that's not a tool that most people can pull off because most people's beta teams, their art teams are not made up of authors. Yeah. Yeah. My True. beta team yeah. is made up of authors who have read mostly mastering Amazon descriptions. So <laughs> that's an, that's an excellent weapon. <laughs> it's an excellent weapon, but again, you know, why not use it? So, Oh um, yeah. Yeah. But I can't help now going on the tangent. How did you get so many book bubs? And did I hear you right? This book only has 13 reviews. You did. But how do you get a book bub with only 13 reviews? One, three reviews. I thought they, they had a minimum reviews. Well, uh, Okay, there's that that that's a that's a that's an entirely different story, and yeah, th there's so I've I've had a lot of book bubs, and you know what that that one I'm I'm going to keep that story to myself because I actually that will be a chapter in in a future book, okay, and, and it may be a lecture in my course, um, mm. but the yeah yeah I, and at at the time that I got it. I had, I had 12, uh, you know, with, during the, the point that they were making their decision. And oh, so, uh, cool. in part it's because I'm wide, but yes, I, 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 I okay. Well, no, you can keep that to yourself. That's I, fine. I, I'm, I'm keeping that one close to the best. Uh, but, um, do, um, so it's better to be wide, but, uh, but can you get a book bub if you're in select? You absolutely can. Mm -hmm. I, I no longer do it, but I used to coach a couple authors, mm -hmm. one of them in a span of 13 months, the author who is exclusive mm -hmm. had five book bubs, wow. four of the regular ones and one of the international hmm. in a span of 13 months. Wow. That, that is good. I mean, you don't even need Amazon ads after that, huh? Well, he also spent nine thousand a month on Amazon ads. So, wow. I mean, that, that was that was the point of uh, of me working with him. But the yeah. uh, well, he yeah, knows his conversion rate. He, he he does. Well, <laughs> when we started working together, the first three months, all I mean, we when we started working together, his total revenue per month was four thousand dollars. Mm -hmm. He was only running Facebook ads hmm. and he was spending uh, 18 or no, $1,200 a month on Facebook ads. Hmm. He was getting 4,000 a month in revenue from page reads and sales. Three months later, after rewriting his descriptions, redoing his back matter, he was at 7,000 a month on zero Facebook spend. Nice. nice. We eliminated all, we, we analyzed his, well, I analyzed his Facebook ads and told him these ads, you're throwing money away. 
they are not profitable. Yeah. So we turn them all off. But because of the the improved description conversion rate, again, so at four thousand a month, he is getting traffic, and and he was doing he was doing frequent releases. Um, mm-hmm. Writes maybe eleven books a year, so he was constantly juicing the algorithm. But the Facebook ads weren't actually adding to his revenue. They were a revenue suck. So we yep. got rid of those and it crept up to 5,000 a month. And then he kept working through the descriptions because he had a large catalog. Excellent. We're going to have to put that. Yeah. He, you know, uh, he was up to 7,000 with zero spend. And so the, the copywriting absolutely matters. Yeah, we'll have to put that in the show notes later too. If you've got a course or got a course coming, then no, I, I do. I have a Meeks Master Classes, uh, Meeks Master Class on uh, on Teachable, and so okay. I can I can give you a link to the class. And if your readers would like, uh, now the, the, just so that they know, my class is for people that have read Mastering Amazon Ads, have been doing ads for a while. This is this is a high level class. Yeah. Though it's, it's a Mastering Amazon Ads class, we talk very little about Amazon Ads. Hmm. The focus of the class is learning the tools that you need for your ads to do well. Because if you haven't optimized your description, yep. you haven't optimized your back matter, you're spending money on clicks inefficiently and so the class is about copywriting it's about back matter it's about analytics so going to read through knowing all of the the tools that you need knowing how to i I talk about book bub in there how to increase the number of book bubs you get that class and it's it it, it, is nothing tricky or sneaky it's just yeah but there's a methodology that if you do this, mm-hmm. you will over time have a greater, you'll, you'll get more book bumps. And mm-hmm. so again, for my Mastering Amazon Ads class, it's really designed for people that are already doing the ads and want to learn the analytics and stuff. But I can, I can give you a link you can put in your show notes. And if you'd like, I could create a code and give your listeners 30% off. How does that sound? That sounds awesome. That sounds way better than I was thinking. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm happy to do that. You've had me on the show. It's the second time. You're very nice. I'll create a code after we're done. And awesome. I would say that uh, I, I haven't done any new lectures in the course in, uh, in probably a year and a half. But Anybody that joins the course, it's a lifetime membership. So mm-hmm. as I start to do lectures about the rapid release and the stuff that I'm working on now, mm-hmm. that's all going to be piled into the existing course. So yeah. I may one day have a course that is specific to rapid release, mm-hmm. but it will all, all of the lectures will be contained within this course that exists now. So that's cool. At, th- at that time, new people might just be buying the rapid release course, but people that already existed sort of, well, they will have just access to everything. Yeah, awesome. 
Well, that sounds like a high value course. So yeah, let's do that, man. That's a great offer. Thank you very much. Well, I'm happy to do it, Eric. You're a good guy. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's get back to your new book, the Amazon descriptions book. Sure. And because there's a part in there, well, there's a bunch of parts in there that I like, but in chapter 23, you mm -hmm. tested your copy versus Chris's copy. It turned out his actually won. Yep. Yep. Chris Tickner, the humanarium and, um, yeah. So tell us about that. The, the, the master was beaten by his student. Well, that, I mean, that's, that points that when, when you're writing copy, especially if you're writing it for someone else in a genre where I don't necessarily know the tropes, the, the words that speak to that readership, mm -hmm. it is entirely possible to, to, to not get it right on the first try. And this goes back to my love of data analytics. So yeah. if you make a change to your description, first off, you have to give it 30, maybe 60 days to have enough data. Mm -hmm. The most common problem, I think, when authors change their description is they look at what happens the next day or the next two or three days and draw a conclusion. Yeah. You, you, need, you need a longer period of time uh, to do that. You may see a spike the next day. You may not. But you can't tell if, if you're normally selling five a day and the next day you sell three. Well, maybe if you hadn't changed the description, that was going to be one of those days where you sell one. So, so, you, so you don't know. The point is you look at it for a period of time and then you judge. If, if it's not an improvement, well, then you try something new. And so the hooks, the opening line, and I like to keep those short, that is a crucial piece. Yeah. If you get the hook right, more people will move on to the second line. And if that is a good hook, you'll get to the third line. And you keep hooking them until you get them to a small paragraph. Then you start giving them some information about the story, but you don't, you don't want to give it away. You, you, you would rather hint at what might happen instead of a synopsis that tells the reader what will happen because too many book descriptions ruin the book. They give away too much. Yeah. And so you're trying to craft this start to finish so that more people will get to the end where it says, get it now, or there's a call to action and, and mm. you get a new reader. Yeah. If, the first thing you try doesn't work. That happens. You can do it again. In my own, with my own books, I expect because I continue to improve as a copywriter that all the descriptions I have now won't be as good as the ones I rewrite in six or nine months. And so you asked about keywords. Do I revisit those? No, but I do revisit my descriptions. My Henry Wood description, the first one I had, which actually... I left it on the print copy. So the print copy, if you go to Henry Wood Detective Agency, mm -hmm. is unchanged. That is the original description that I started selling the book with, and it's horrible. Hmm. What if is it called, click, Henry Wood? Sorry. Henry Wood Detective Agency. Okay. So again, I'm less concerned about selling my own books than I am about education because I, I love working with authors. So if you go look at the ebook, that's got the mo my most current description. In that description, 
you know what, can I just read it to you? Because yeah, my, of my course. Go for it. Is really good, and I think it will be illustrative of, of what I mean by not giving away everything. Yeah. And so let's go to Kendall Store. So this is the description for Henry Wood Detective Agency. The cover is sort of art deco. Mm -hmm. that, that is important to know because the cover speaks to the period, but so does the description. So this book has 474 reviews, 4.1 average. Hmm. Above the fold, there's only 13 words. And when I say above the fold, I mean the line where, where you say click read more. So a person has clicked, they've come to Henry Wood Detective Agency, they've landed on the Kindle, and it reads, Henry knew one thing, dot, dot, dot. I note that I often misuse the ellipse mm -hmm. in my description. That's fine because I don't care about the rules of punctuation. I care about selling the books. So yeah. it says, Henry knew one thing, dot, dot, dot. Dames were trouble. Would this client be the exception? So right there, that's all that's above the fold. Mm -hmm. Henry knew one thing. The goal of that first line is get them to read the next line. Nobody is going to get to the ellipse and their eyes are going to stop reading and they're going to click to something else. Yeah. It, curiosity is too great. What comes after the ellipse? Dames were trouble. Well, the word dames, that speaks to the period. Nobody uses the word dames anymore. They haven't used it in 50 years. Yeah. So that tells them that this book, which the cover also hints at that, is a period piece. Would this client be the exception? Then you click read more. It continues. She walked in, sat down, crossed her legs, and asked for a light. Boy, could she cross a leg. <laughs> Before the woman had told him why she needed a detective, Henry wondered if she was playing him. It was something about her. The red lips and smoldering eyes were just a little too perfect. She knew how to get her way. And the dress, dot, dot, dot. She wore the Dior dress that would make an hourglass self-conscious. Was it the damsel in distress act? This was the second one he had seen this week. Something wasn't adding up. 1955 was going to be an interesting year. You'll love this noir mystery with a twist because everyone loves a broken detective trying to do what's right. Get it now. Hmm, that description like... converts at one and eight. Nice. The original one, which if I go to the paperback, this is the original. It's um, one block of text. Oh no, so that, that's I, illegal. That, that is. So on the Kindle, and, and, and your listeners can go look at it, and mm. you'll see that the longest <laughs> paragraph, I have two paragraphs that are, one is two lines, one is one and a half line. Every other line I read you was a single line, and it had a blank space in between it. You don't mm. want to have the entirety of your description be single lines. There needs to be some paragraphs with meat to them. Yeah. Again, compared to the paperback version of the description, which is one block of text, and I have the original cover, so it's not even, it's the, the first cover I have that I use. I've changed nothing about the paper book. The cover's horrible. The description's horrible. Well, you really don't want to sell your print books, do you? I, <laughs> I, I don't care about selling a few print books. What I care about is when I'm doing a podcast, 
I can say, hey, go check this out. Here's yeah. an example of the way it was just sitting there because, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, that may lead to me selling a copy mastering Amazon description. So, you know what? I do fine. I make my money. Uh, I believe you. <laughs> I just do it a little differently than most people. So here's that description. Henry Wood is a private detective in 1955. It is January, a new year, and before he can recover from celebrating its arrival, which has a typo in it, it should be ITS, <laughs> it's ITS, celebrating its arrival, a woman wanders into his office, and wanders is spelled incorrectly, it should be ERS, <laughs> into his office, she needs to hire him. She isn't the only one. He, he is in New York, loves the Brooklyn Dodgers, enjoys woodworking, and will soon find that he has gotten in over his head with his new case. So again, that's <laughs> what I put up there in whatever year. I don't, I don't even know the year. Two, 2011, 2012. Let me look when I publish this. Um, it's, it's wonderful. It's like you keep it up there just to show how, how you were, you know, a tragic comedy, you know. Or... Well, July 20th, 2011 is when the print book went up. And... <laughs> And this, this is the way we did it in 2011. Huh. And so I, I've, I've come a long ways. And yep. you know, I only sell three or four copies of the print book a year. I would probably sell more if I changed things up. Mm -hmm. But again, the, yeah. this, this artifact here probably, when I'm doing podcasts, sells more books, both print and ebook of my descriptions book, that I would sell if I got rid of this this legacy here, yeah, and yeah. had it go away. So I'm I'm happy to leave it, and That's, maybe one day I'll change my mind. I mean, no, leave it up. We're going to put it in the podcast notes. So. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I won't change any time soon, but okay. there may come a day, a year from now, two years, three years from where, ultimately, I love the teaching, but at some point I will go back to just being a fiction author yeah. because. That's really what I want to do. I want to travel the world. I want to just, well, I might, might write nonfiction about travel, but mm -hmm. the teaching stuff is something I'm doing now at this point in my life because I enjoy it. But yeah, most of my life will be sitting alone in a cafe in Venice writing books and, and not worry about this. And at that point, well, then I won't be doing research and I'll, I'll just be you know, trying to make money. And so I'll probably go through and make these changes, but that's, <laughs> that's cool. Off. That's a good picture. I like it. That's a nice vision. But um, uh, back to descriptions. Do you, um, is it just the nonfiction guys, or do you ever use bold in your descriptions? Oh, that's such a good question. <laughs> I used to use bold. And <laughs> when people ask me that question, I tell them I no longer use bold, but I have not found any data that makes me believe that there's anything wrong with it. So this, this is the deal. There's, there's a site called Copy Blogger. Yep. And they have lots of good articles. I don't remember the name of the article, but I, I believe it was on Copy Blogger. And I read this piece about somebody looking at bold in copy. Not, this wasn't relating to the book business. This was just copywriting. And they did an interesting study and found that in that one instance, the group that had the that didn't have the bold in it slightly outperformed the one with the bold, but it was so slight that it was statistically insignificant. So the author said, we did this study 
the non-bold won, but it won by such a slight margin that we can't say with a 95% confidence interval yeah. that we've learned anything. Mm-hmm. But it struck me as being interesting because when I was at Geico, where a 15-minute call could save you 15% on your auto insurance, yeah. I was in the marketing department, and one of the things that I analyzed was the, the generic envelopes versus the ones with the fine art. And uh-huh. you know, n- knowing how the generics performed and thinking about that versus this article, it just I just kind of decided that I like the look of it better without the bowl. Yeah, yeah. But I tell people, in that instance, I can't steer you down one path. You pick which one you think you like best and go with it, and that's great. So that's my answer. It's a long answer. Oh, that's and cool. I don't wish you washy, but the, I don't believe that I can prove <laughs> one is superior to the other. Yeah. So that's interesting. You had some direct response uh, experience in Geico with, with like snail mail. Yeah. Oh, I did some neat studies at Geico. That, that's why I learned to be a data analyst. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. Um, and uh, I, I, I know I've read that somewhere too. Uh, maybe it was Gary Halbert. He said, you got to make the envelope look like it's coming from an actual person. So no flashy stuff on it. Is yes. that what yours was? The results? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Hmm. So I remembered Gary's book. <laughs> and, and, and I agree with Gary. Yeah. And you've got the data to prove it. Yeah, I, I, well, I mean, somewhere at Geico, there's the reports I wrote. But yeah, I, I did a number of interesting studies uh, at Geico that, that were amazing. I, I, I really enjoyed that job. And the reason I'm able to make a living as an author is because of those seven years as a data analyst, because there are better writers. A lot of my books are 4.1 to 4.4. My nonfiction you know, those are a little higher, you know, four seven, I think, for mastering Amazon ads. You mean the reviews? Yeah, the the review average. Mm. Um, and Dragon's Fury is four point nine right now. But you know what? Once the book bub's done, it'll probably be down. I, I hope it stays at least four point four. But yeah. <clears throat> uh, I mean, the realities are. Well, this is interesting. I, I've been going through. Uh, I guess it was my seventh novel, just because sometimes I read my old ones. And every author gets better with time. So I'm now working on, I guess, the what I'm writing now is my 18th fiction, uh, mm-hmm. piece of fiction or novel. And I'm a better writer now. Uh, we, we always get better with the, if we're passionate about this, we're always reading, learning, finding out the words that we overuse. I overuse the word that. And so I try to delete it out and I'm getting better. And I'm going back through and reading uh, the Magellan Apocalypse map runners, which was my first science fiction. And I, and I'm enjoying it. I really like the story that I'm telling, but I can tell that stylistically Hmm. I'm an improved writer than I was with, with map runners. And that's just part of the business. The the first book an author writes will be the worst book they ever write. Mm-hmm. And I'm able to succeed with books that are in the 4.1 to 4.2, 4.3, range because nice. of my data analytics. Hmm. Am I always trying to do better? Yes. Is Dragon's Fury a 4.9 book in perpetuity? No. The people that have left the reviews, they like me. And so, so they're biased. <laughs> and, 
and, and you, you know, everybody starts off with the friends and family and stuff. So my initial reviews are from authors who have a predisposition to, if they're trying to decide between four or five, they probably skew high. And I know that the book bub, that will be people that don't have a bias. And so I expect maybe a hundred reviews out of the book bub hmm. over the course of the next 60 days. Yeah. That will be pretty accurate you know, once those reviews come in. But awesome. again, I'm, I'm, an, I'm a competent writer. I think mm -hmm. I'm improving, but I make a living as a full-time author where there are many authors who are, who are better mm -hmm. at the craft than me. Yep. They're not better data analysts. I use my skills as an analyst to sell books. Well, who said that? You don't have to be um, a Shakespeare or a good writer. You have to be an effective writer. Exactly. Yeah, I, I don't know who said it, but yeah. I agree. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I love it. Um, it's exactly up my alley, too, because I'm not the best writer either. And I'm trying, I'm moving to fiction now. I'm just so tired of nonfiction. But okay, fiction, enough fiction about me. Oh, I mean, yeah. I missed yeah. it. I went two years without doing any fiction. Oh. And... Now this year, I, I've written, well, I'm close to finishing my sixth novel of the year. And mm. I love it. It's fantastic. Yeah. Okay, let's get back to your wonderful book. If your description is converting at one to 10 or better, should you leave it and stop optimizing it? No. Mm. I, I, I don't, again, this is the polar opposite of what I talk about with the keywords. Yeah. It's in the I, book. That's why I brought it up. Yeah, I, I, I think that anybody, so, so imagine an author out there has six or eight books and they're listening to the show. Mm -hmm. They read through Mastering Amazon descriptions all the way to the end and then they rewrite the, their first book in the series. I believe that by the time that person, he or she finishes writing their sixth description of that series, that at that time, they will improve enough as a copywriter to revisit the first one and rewrite it. Now, that second pass on the first one will probably be good for six or eight months. But if the author is using copywriting all the time mm -hmm. on Facebook, on their email correspondence, if they send a message to me through DM, they're putting in the blank lines because there are a few things worse than getting a request for help from somebody through Facebook, which I always try to help them, mm -hmm. but they give me 30 lines without a <laughs> single break in it. And there's seven questions in that single paragraph. And I have to stop and spend 10 minutes and, and hand write out each question so yeah. that I don't miss them. It, it's, it's really unpleasant. And so people don't know that trick with the shift key. I mean, yeah. you taught, you taught that me to me too. I also didn't yeah. know that. And so if, if you can learn that, you will make it less of a burden for your readers to consume your message. And that's yeah. what I'm trying to get across. The point being is I'm a vastly better copywriter than I was a year ago. Hmm. And I will become a better copywriter in six months because I'm constantly doing it and I'm getting new ideas and trying out new things with, uh, with my advertising copy and, and, so yes, you're going to constantly, not constantly, may, maybe it's something that if you plan on 
revisiting your description and freshening it up once a year. That may be enough. It's not a constant battle and you shouldn't do it once a week because you don't have enough data. Yeah. So, so you don't know if you're improving things, but you, you go through the first pass, maybe you go through a second pass, but then you let them sit and you watch them. And if they're performing at one in 10, you let them do that for a while. And then six months down the road, read it. And yeah. if you've been practicing this skill, you're going to say, you know what? I could change these three words and it will be better. And maybe you get it down to one in nine or one in eight, but each, each improvement over the life of your ads and, and paying for those clicks that goes straight to the bottom line. So it's worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. That's um, there's so many interesting things in your book. Uh, I'd like to make a, a small diversion with, about pricing. You had a really interesting part about yeah, pricing. I, I wrote, in the book. There's I think eight or 10 articles. Yeah. Well, I call them articles, but these are posts where I used proper copywriting. And so the point of including it is, here is a, a non-description example of copywriting, mm -hmm. but all of the subject matter relate to indie publishing. And yeah. so, yes, I included the one on pricing. Yeah, but um, what surprised me is price elasticity. And Amazon is not elastic? Uh, no. Uh, this is a term from economics. If anyone out there has had an econ 101 course, usually within the first, that's my degree is economic. Oh, okay. Within the first two or three weeks, you will get to a subject called price elasticity. And so prices are either elastic or inelastic. Yeah. And what that means is if you're a producer of a product and we produce books, but it could be a lawnmower. Mm -hmm. If your lawnmower is priced at a thousand dollars, and that's a lot for a lawnmower. Let's say it's a $300 lawnmower. Yeah. And it's price elastic. And you lower the price, mm -hmm. then you will sell more lawnmowers because the consumer is price sensitive. Mm -hmm. They see it go from 300 to 280 And the though you're giving up $20 in revenue per unit, the increase in sales will be such that it is greater than the lost revenue. And at the end of the day, you have more profit. That is an elastic price. Conversely, price inelasticity is if you lower the price by $20, the increase in sales will be less than what you need hmm. to offset that $20. And in the books, in the book business on Amazon, and I've only studied this up through, really, I've looked it up through $4.99, uh, some, I guess $5.99, because I have a few of my books at $5.99. And with stuff that Amazon has posted, it is clear that the book buying public do not care. Hmm, interesting. So if your book is priced at 99 cents, yes you will sell more copies. If you're an author like Craig Martell, who has a series with 24 books in it, that's a massive amount. And he has great read through. He's a vastly more entertaining writer than me. His reviews are off the charts. So if, if you're you know, Craig Martell, Michael Andelay, uh, and these, these long series, then you're most interested 
in maximizing the number of readers that come into your funnel because mm -hmm. each reader might be worth $30. So go, you know, going from 35 cents to $3 and 50 cents for that first book. It, and I say that because 35 cents is what you make at a, yeah. or I, I, uh, you get, I, I mean, not 35, uh, 30 cents. Cause or yeah, 35 cents. We make 35% of 99 cents. So it's 34 cents. Yeah what we get at 99 cents versus right around $3 and 50 cents at 4.99. And so that's, that's a factor of 10 going from 35 to 3.50. But if you've got many, many books in the series, then the most important aspect for people like Craig and Michael is new readers because they have such good read through. They write such mm -hmm. entertaining books. Yeah. If you've got a smaller series, then you, those extra couple readers will not be offset by the additional revenue because you don't have enough books. So Interesting. The, the, the realities are you will not at 99 cents sell 10 times the number of books you would at 499. Hmm. You might sell twice as many, hmm. but you're going to make a lot more money at 499. And then people always say, well, oh, you know, I just look at what all the other authors price. I'm in romance. <laughs> you know, you can only sell it $2.99 in romance because look at the top 100. They're all $2.99. You know, if that's what you, romance is different. No, it's not. The authors that I know in romance making $100,000 every single month, yeah. they launch their books at $4.99. Interesting they don't, indeed. So the worst advice that is bandied about in the author community is just look at what people in your genre are doing and copy that. No, because that's why all the romance authors price their first book at 99 cents and the rest of their series at 2.99 is because the romance author was given that advice. They followed the top hundred who is filled with romance authors following that advice. And somebody way back when decided, well, I'm gonna try it, and people copied them. The problem mm -hmm. with that advice is none of the authors that make up the top 100 do data analytics. Yeah, They don't have a degree in economics. They don't know that they're leaving money on the table. And so I, when that article that, I, that you're speaking about from the book, mm -hmm. Within 30 days, or about 30 days later, I had 24 people, authors, reach out to me who said, I raised my price because I read your article, because it was posted on 20 books originally. I yeah. read your article, I raised the price, and for me, it didn't work, it failed. Hmm. So I said, do you mind if I look at your data? And, and they were, I would love you to look at my data. So. We, we would get on Skype and they would send me the Excel file with their data and I would analyze it. And yeah. of the 24 people who changed their price from whatever it was to $4.99, yeah. 24 of them came to me because it failed. 24 of them upon analysis were wrong. <laughs> there wasn't cool. a single person who made less money than they did before the change. Yep. The problem was none of them could do the math 
to figure <laughs> out how to compare the before and after. And when I walk them through it, yeah. they're like, oh, wow. And so, I mean, th this is a real problem in the industry. When yeah. you have 99% of the authors that succeed without doing math, <laughs> and, the, and the new people are copying what they're doing, well, they're, they're not... Yeah, yeah. They're not optimized. And so yeah. that, that's, that's important. So that's bad advice. Don't follow what people are doing. It is yeah. absolutely price inelastic. I've studied it across, I don't even know how many genres. I've never seen an instance where over the long run, a $4.99 book will make less money for the author than the $0.99. Cent or, yeah, especially, especially if you're already at $2.99. So if the author has... And again, there can be a case made for an opening book of 99 cents. I don't do it, but, you know, unless I'm running a special like a book club or something. Yeah. Maybe it's because of that thing in the Amazon dashboard where it shows you the pricing beta, where they, they show you that graph and show you where the highest revenue is. And um, so a lot of people are using that, you know, and then, then, then it comes up with these funny numbers like 356 and stuff, you know? Yes, yes. I, yeah, again, I... <clears throat> the, yeah, it, it's just, yeah, I would never price below 499. And you know what? I, I've not seen any difference at 599. So I, I may, once I get done, because I, again, I'm about analytics. When I get done with my 10 book rapid release, I may raise all the prices from book one through 10 to 599 or 699. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll I, I will definitely raise it just to see what happens mm. but knowing what i know of price inelasticity of demand for amazon books i expect that it will make more money once i do yeah you've got um, a really good article um, a chapter in your book too doing the math uh chapter 60 barnes and noble ads and you know price per million and you do the math in the book and yeah pretty pretty eye-opening there i tried with this book to do less math. So in, in Mastering Amazon Ads, there's a lot of math and I try to present it in a way that is non-threatening mm -hmm. to people. But with the description book, I talk at a high level. These are the numbers you can expect. And I considered some of those descriptions that I, I rewrote, I had, I had data for. I, just, I considered you know, hounding the, the authors to to save data and all and try to build a book where I analyze each individual one. Yeah. But I just decided that that was, there was too much effort and so many people get, they cringe at the math, but mm -hmm. I try to keep this book less you know, with less math. There's a little bit in it. It's the basics, the easiest stuff that I believe you need to know, but people shouldn't be frightened mm -hmm. by the quantity of math in this book. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I love it. I love your new book. But we are approaching two hours, my I friend. <laughs> I'm sorry. To all the oh, listeners that have made it this far. No, I love it. I love it. But I do, I will then uh, keep it down to maybe three more questions. Okay. Uh, and I'll try to be more succinct. Nah, don't worry about it. I, I love it, man. I'm, I'm, I'm getting all the information I want out of you. I could go for three hours, but we won't do that, okay? Okay. <laughs> 
Okay. So tell me about um, 20 books to 50K. Is these, these are conferences. It was started by Michael Anderley. And, and this is how you went to full-time author or is it, this is. Well, no, I, I was a full-time author before he started the group. Okay. Um, the, the premise is Michael decided he wanted to become a full-time author. Mm-hmm. And, and he decided if I could sell, and I don't remember the, the numbers, you get this post on there, I'm sure where he talked about it, but if I sell X number per day of this book, and it was a very conservative number, two or three, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, we could probably figure it out. Uh, actually, let me just grab my calculator and, and do the math because I think it is uh, a good illustration of, of, of a great way to think about one's career. The way Michael did it was brilliant. He mm-hmm. broke it down into from the goal of $50,000 a year into smaller, more manageable mm-hmm. tasks, bite-sized ideas yeah. so that it wouldn't be so overwhelming. So uh, $50,000 per year divided by, uh, say, $3.45. Let's say that's what you get per sale of a book. Now, of course, I'm not going to dig into KU and all that math. Yeah. But... You know, that's selling 14,492.75 books a year would make you $50,000 in, in sales revenue. Mm-hmm. And so what is that per day? So I'm just going to round it. Uh, I'm just going to divide by 365 mm-hmm. and that is 39 per day. Hmm. Okay. If you had 20 books, you divide that by 20 and his math was based on if I have 20 books and each book sells only two copies a day mm-hmm. i can make fifty thousand a year yeah, and two copies is, is it hard i mean that's that's a small number yeah. and so he set out to write the, this this series and I, I mean i admittedly and he talks he has talked about this in in the group so i'm not speaking you know out of out of, out of turn right he does well over six figures every single month. Nice. nice. So, you know, he, he, he's not, you know, he didn't, he got to the 50,000 very quickly and it should be noted. Like I said earlier, he's a really good writer. Yeah. If you look at the reviews, uh, I've, I've not read any of Michael's books. I should, we live in the same building here in Las Vegas. He actually is four floors above me. Uh, Michael's, just a brilliant writer. He's a better writer than I am. Mm-hmm. And so one should understand that the quality of the writing matters. It may not, it's not the only element. You can succeed being a writer that's only as good as Brian Meeks. You don't need to be as good as Michael Andale mm-hmm. or Craig Martell. But, you know, if you, if you can be a better writer, then by all means do, because yeah. it helps. So is this a conference that's every month or how, how does no, it? No, it's a group on Facebook. It's mm-hmm. the 20 books to 50 K group. There's 33, 34,000 people in it. Right. And they have conferences around the world. Now moving forward, there's going to be one conference a year. The next one, they just got done with one in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. The next one is in Las Vegas. I've mm-hmm. spoken at the conference the last two years. I'll be speaking again. This year, Craig just posted in the group that 
they, they've sold out the conference. And, and, and they originally sold out the conference. I think there's a thousand people hmm. that are, will be attending. I mean, a thousand is a, a big conference and it's sold out in 30 minutes. Wow. So this is unparalleled as far as indie author conferences go. Now, yeah. RWA just had their conference uh, last week or the week before in New York City. And Wait I, a minute, who's that? RWA? RWA is the Romance Writers of America. If you're oh, a romance okay. writer, that's the group you want to belong to. They have a, their national conference gets four to 5,000 romance authors. Hmm. It is, is a big deal. Uh, I'm speaking in Houston at a smaller gathering, uh, 60 or so people um, in September. If there's any listeners in Houston, uh, you know, let, let me just, um, hold on. Let me, do you mind if I plug that conference? Because Of course, go for it. The, the lady who runs it is delightful. And I just got a message that has uh, the, because I don't remember the names of mm -hmm. the conferences. And so the, let me get that. This is the, it's called the Starfish Conference. It's Friday and Saturday, uh, September uh, 6th through 7th, and the I'm doing a couple two-hour workshops at that conference, and so that's in Houston. Um, you can look up, I'm sure, if you Google Starfish Conference, uh, mm -hmm. the, the, cool. you'll, you'll find that. And so, is it sold the, out? Uh, no, it, it, I don't think it is. I mean, I, I don't know how what their capacity is. Uh, she says they typically have 45 to 55 people, but they're hoping for 60 this year. So. If there are people in the Houston area that are um, romance writers, then you know that might be worth checking out. But yeah. again, the Twenty Books Conference is a an amazing event. A lot of successful authors. Mm -hmm. You get you get to meet them, chat, ask questions. It, it's wonderful. But again, every year it sells out in about thirty minutes. So. Man. Um, you, you kind of need to be literally, and Craig on the 20 book site, he, he teases for months, like, okay, we're going to do this. It's coming up. And then you'll know a month or two ahead of time when the sign up goes live Yeah, and, and people are just waiting and, and they bang. So it, it's, it's a, it's a great opportunity, but any conference is yeah. going to give you energy and insights mm -hmm. Brian Cohen has one in Chicago. There's yeah. lots of conferences. It's pretty amazing. Didn't he start that just on the K-boards with his first post on the K-boards? Yes, I believe he did. That's pretty cool. And now it's like a 30,000-member Facebook group. You know, it's pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah. Okay. I, I recommend it. It's a great place. Yeah. Well, but it sounds like, you, well, you can't go to the, it's always sold out. So. <laughs> yeah, now, now it's sold out. That's, that's true. Okay. Is your favorite book still Candide? Yes, it is. That, <laughs> you know, that, it, well, it depends on how you ask the question. It's the book that I reread the most. Yeah. I've read it eight times. Yeah. If I were to say, which is my favorite book? Now, I've only read it once, but A Suitable Boy by Vikram Seth. It's 1,482 pages mm -hmm. of just the most amazing prose. There, there's, There's... It doesn't have peaks and valleys. There's no car chases, no highs and lows. It's just 1,482 pages of the most beautiful writing. 
Yeah, I read it after you recommended it. So yeah, it was really good. I, I really liked it too. So. <laughs> quite, a, quite a craftsman. Candide hey, by Voltaire. Candide by Voltaire. Vikram uh, Seth, a suitable boy. Vikram Seth is a genius. And he, his background was economics. So uh -huh. who's that? Vikram Seth, B-I-K-R-A-M-S-E-T-H. Mm -hmm. He's got a suitable boy, which is this epic. Takes place in 1951 India. Then he also has an equal music, which is about a quartet that is a smaller book, like two, 300 pages, a typical size novel. That is, he just, I mean, he writes at a level of craftsmanship that I just can't even comprehend. It is so beautiful. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I read that book after you recommended it and um, excellent classic. So just one or two more questions. Sure. What's, what would you do differently if you had to do it all over again? Just with the whole book business? Yeah. 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 You're, you're not your life, but you know, yeah, the book thing. <laughs> sure. Uh, I have not devoted enough time to the building and nurturing of my email list. Oh, okay. I've done a great job with my Facebook groups. I've got 9,000 <laughs> authors in there and I have done that to the neglect of worrying about mailing lists. Mailing lists are incredibly important. If you can start on that early, mm -hmm. get good at it, use proper copywriting, that should be a major focus. I would have done a better job with that. Well, well, some uh, marketers are, you know, moving to the Facebook groups instead of email lists. So I don't know about that. I don't think it should be instead of. I think it, I, I honestly. I think it should, it should be more important than the Facebook groups yeah. because it's, it's, a, it's a constant. If you have that list, you, you can always reach your readers. But yeah. with, with my 9,000 people across two groups, these Facebook groups, mm -hmm. I don't know if I post something today. If I, if I, when the day comes, should I write Mastering Rapid Release? If I wrote that book, and I posted it on the group, I, mm -hmm. it'll probably sell 100 copies right out of the gate, mm -hmm. which is good. But of the, the 8,200 that are in the main group, I would be surprised if 1,000 people even see the post. Hmm. It might be 500. And so compared to if I had those same 8,000 authors on an email list, which I don't, if I had them on a list and I blasted out and 50% opened, now 4,000 people have seen your, your announcement about the new book. And yeah. maybe I sell 800 copies. Mm -hmm. And so you know, with a 20% you know, uh, click-through rate or what have you. So it, again, you asked what I would do differently. I would have done a better job with the list. That's interesting. That's what almost everybody says, huh? <laughs> okay. Do they? Is that a common theme? I, I just, yeah, I know yeah, yeah. guys like Nick Stevenson are great at it. He's, yeah. that's been his focus and he's, he's the master. Yeah, he's one of my favorite um, guys too. I'm on his list, of course. But um, do you have a morning routine or do you, any, do you do any of those time management books like The Miracle Morning or The One Thing or The Twelve? Well, I, I have written three books with... Uh, Honoré Quarter, who oh, yeah. uh, she manages the Miracle Morning brand. And right. so you would think 
because Honoré being my author buddy yeah. that I would do something like that. And I don't. And <laughs> cool. It's just tragic because there have been points in my life where I've done Miracle Morning style mm -hmm. day planning organization. And during those times, I have been incredibly productive. Hmm. I know that. I just don't do it. That's cool. That, it's a personal failing. Yeah. Ah, that's cool. That's cool. I, you know, everybody uh, has their thing, you know, or not. <laughs> it, it would be good if I could. I do try to make lists and, and I, have, I use some organization, but there was a period of three months where I was meticulous about my organization. Mm -hmm. During that three months, I, I was so incredibly productive and I mm -hmm. just, it's just easy to not be that meticulous. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. So what's on the horizon for you? What's your next projects? Well, uh, again, my whole life is devoted to the finishing of this 10 book epic fantasy series. Like I said, I'm nearly done with book six, Cool. but I hope to write four more books by the end of the year. Uh, probably actually realistically January. And then Boy, once that's done, because this has been exhausting. It is yeah. rapid release when you're over 10 books, unless you've already written the entirety of the 10 series. I mean, I was smart in that I didn't release book one until I'd finished book five. Okay. Uh, but you need, you need that runway because once you get into the throes of having the series out and all the additional things you want to do to try to actually sell the books, hmm. it's just a massive undertaking and so I, I literally work every day seven days a week it's 10 12 hours some days I had an 18 hour day last week wow. where I, I just it's non-stop and I'm exhausted most of the time so the plan <laughs> is when I get to March and I've released the last book I'll probably uh, of course then after that I will have three more months where I will release box sets but that'll all be done because that's just yeah, that is so awesome. I mean, that, that doesn't, I don't have to write anything new for that. Yeah. But then I, I think I want to travel the world. I, I really mm -hmm. hope to become an expat, go to Portofino, spend mm -hmm. some time there, hop to Bali, go to New Zealand. I, I, if, I don't know what time, when does the Olympics start next year in Japan? That might oh. be in March. Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I wouldn't mind going to the Olympics, but I think that's, I think I'm going to miss that. High on my list is I want to walk the Camino de Santiago, which is 800 kilometers across Northern Spain. Oh yeah. A, a colleague of mine just did that. Oh, it, it looks fun. I've read 13 books uh, written by people mm -hmm. who have walked the Camino. Two of the authors are authors, people mm -hmm. that write for a living. They're well, writers, so they're not necessarily authors, but 11 of them were written by people that only wrote the one book. Wow. And they were just so moved by their month, you know, 30, 35 day experience of walking across Northern Spain, mm -hmm. that they had to write a book. And what's interesting about the Camino books is it's the same path, but viewed through a different lens. And I am absolutely addicted to reading these stories. And so now that I've read 13, hmm. I, you know, I know all the stops because I, it's the same people stopping in the same towns 
all across Northern Spain, but they all meet different people, have different stories, have different life lessons that they take away. It is fascinating. And as an author, the thing that's most fascinating to me, each time I buy the book, of course, I look at the ranking because I'm a data guy. Mm-hmm. Typically, these books, at the point that I'm buying them, if I were to buy one today, you know, two or three in the afternoon, that book, because of the ranking, I know it has sold two or three copies on that day at the time that I buy it <laughs> because I know enough about the rankings. But what's interesting is some of these books are nine and 10 years old. And so you go back to what Craig was, or not Craig, but uh, Michael Otterley was saying that's, you know, two or three sales a day Hmm. for nine or 10 years. Wow. A person that is not really an, I mean, they're an author now, but that's not their business. That's not their livelihood. They just wrote this book, put it up there. And so that tells me the market for these books, they will consume them. And so, the dream is, once I'm done with this epic fantasy series, travel the world and you know, write, a, write a book about the Camino. Write a book about there's a, a – you can do a lap in New Zealand. There's 3,000 kilometers. Well, you've got to come up to Germany and visit me if you're going to go to Spain. Well, I, I could do that. I could spend time in Germany. I've been to uh, – I spent some time in Nuremberg. Yeah. I, 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 Germany's beautiful, beautiful yeah. country, and I could write a book about uh, again, I want to write travel books. I want to write uh, books about these long walks. And uh, so that's Sounds kind of like what I, I want to do next. <laughs> that is so awesome. Okay, besides the wonderful offer for 30% off, where where can your fans and the listeners reach you? Well, the best place, like I said, I don't do a great job with the list, <laughs> are my two groups on Facebook, Mastering Amazon Ads and Author's Guide-Beta. And the other one is Mastering Amazon Descriptions. So if you just put Mastering Amazon Ads or Mastering Amazon Descriptions into the search, mm-hmm. you'll find my two groups. And that's and I, I hang out in the groups. I try to answer yeah. questions. They've gotten large enough, and there's enough people who have been putting into practice the, the techniques from the books for years now that often – Somebody will post a, a new person will post a question and it will get answered before I get to it. But I do hang out there. And if there's a question that I see pop up and it hasn't already been addressed, mm-hmm. I'll get in there and do my best to help out. So that's, that's where you can see me. That's where I hang out. Right on. So you're a Facebook centric guy. I am. All right. That's cool. That's cool. Thanks so much, Brian. It's been real, really fun and rich. And uh, let's do another podcast. Oh, sounds good. When, uh, you know, maybe when, when March rolls around and I have. Oh yeah. Yeah. Let's launch your books. With regards to, uh, the, the Chronicles of the Fifth Kingdom. That's the name of the series and, and, and the rapid release. Why? Because yeah. uh, I, I actually, I mean, I already do have some interesting things from, from my experiences and I've just, just started the thing. So awesome. I believe that, you know, in 10 months or so, I'm going to have some pretty valuable information for yep. people that are considering going wide because I believe it's a valid path. Yep. The, a lot of people choose to go wide because they get frustrated with Amazon. That's not a good reason. Mm-hmm. You should go wide if you have a plan 
for being successful wide. And that's, yeah. that's what I hope to uncover. Awesome. I can't wait to see it. So, all right. Thank Let you. me know. And uh, thanks again. And I'll see you next time, eh? Absolutely, Eric. I appreciate it. Okay. See ya. All right. Okay. Okay, my friends, if you like that podcast, then remember to go to zbooks.co and go get all the materials to start your authoring career. We have a seven-day challenge every week, so there's no excuse to not finish your book. And remember, please go to iTunes and upvote this podcast and Google Play. Okay, I look forward to seeing you at the top.